0: Come
1: on! They're right there! Let's go! Move, 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 move! This episode of Choices Not Chances is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices, Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is your host, Ryan Rogers. You want to take it, Ryan? Yeah, so we're going to get into kind of day
0: three of uh, the initial the initial push um, into Marja in the book here, and uh, this is going to be an excerpt from the book um, as we consolidate on night two. Okay. Okay. As the company consolidated on night two, the COC would remain in the original building from the night prior, and the individual platoons would now be setting up their own battle positions. I'd given up one of my Marines for the company first sergeant's quartering party. This was a routine thing that everyone had to participate, and I would love to have my boys back with me the following day or so. I chose Mini-Me and Simri. They left with radio batteries and other odds and ends. And the remainder Mm -hmm. of my squad and attachments were spread out in defensive posture, posted up and waiting for word from the top. After a short period of time, the key leaders were called to the lieutenant's position to discuss our options. We would arrive at the CP and I would be greeted with a fresh American Newport cigarette from Herbie. He was a key leader as well as he was a machine gun section leader. Sorry, machine gun squad leader. The LT commenced uh, to give our brief and after, and, and, and debrief the after actions of the day's events. Gave each person a chance to speak on anything he might want to bring up. He was a truly an, an amazing leader. Hind brought up that he'd seen some large OE-style antennas coming out of a hardened-looking structure up by what appeared to be the land bridge and bazaar that was referenced in the op order. This became the primary concern of the conversation, and Hind had already posted men on watch to report back with any movement. With the primary objective tentatively identified, the plans were simple. We were to take a position under the cover of darkness, close to the objective. My squad was tasked with uh, moving out, clearing, and securing a building that was less than 300 meters from our current position and less than 300 meters from the objective side as well. After the table was slapped on the plan, I I was sick to my stomach. To this day, I'm not sure why. Maybe it was nerves. Maybe it was the thought of facing my squad knowing I was just as scared, if not more scared than they were, and talking to them about what was to come next. I couldn't seem to get McCullough out of my head either, or his father. It was almost 45 wow. days to the, to the day from when I shook that man's hand and he placed his son's life in my hands, and now he had a hole in his arm and I was and was removed from my control. One thing I took solace in was the last thing that B's father told him to do was kill him good, and that's exactly what he did. He got the hole in his arm patched up and I told him to post back up. Without hesitation this man became a lion once more, threw this all up on the wall, and laid down hate and discontent. I told him to make him pay for the hole in his arm, and he did just that. Once I was back in my position I called the team leaders and briefed them on the plan. I told Bennett he would be taking point and showed him the compound I wanted to take. We would be moving out in thirty mics, and the team leaders went to brief their men. Whenever I was speaking to my Marine, I felt, I tried to show no fear. There were many times where I probably was more afraid than they were, but I tried to maintain a level head. Sometimes I could compose myself and sometimes I couldn't. Being that that day, that day three was coming and we were running low on food and water. It was hard to uh, keep composure. The order started and we were to have the objective. The order stated that we were supposed to have our objective in 24 hours in uh, in the ground line of communication which is our ground supply route, should be already open, and they weren't. The food supply was running low. I briefed the team leaders to eat what was necessary for energy only. I had been rationing my my food since the onset, not because I'm some sort of saint, but literally because I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat or sleep to this point in the push. The little food I did force down made me nauseous. I gave out three of my main meals to boys who were out of food, and I told them they could eat after we secured the foothold after the checks were good and everyone was ready, we, we began to echelon out from the current position. And so at that point, you know, and it's not like it's the, uh, I don't want I don't want to sound like I was weak and scared and shaking. Obviously that wasn't the case. And you can attest to that, but you know, in your head when <clears throat> two days, okay, yeah. Hard fighting. Here we go. Boys are a little shook up, but we're faring pretty well. And it wasn't nerves like, Oh, I'm scared. Um, oh, I'm scared to die every day, every second. But it was the fact of facing the squad saying, hey, it's time to lace up again right. and again and again and again and again. And, you know, after a while, it's like you got real used to it. Like, okay, fuck it. This is what we're doing today. Suck it up, guys. I know it sucks, but we're doing it and we're good at it. And um, and so, yeah, we kicked off. And so we secure the building for the night. You know, and and then with the sun the next day, it's like, it's time to... It's time to lace it up. (laughs) It's time to get it on. We were going to be doing a frontal assault and an action ride on two machine gun bunkers and a bazaar. And um, so, obviously, sleepless night. Uh, Sun comes up. Well, it was cold. Yeah,
1: cold. Very cold. Sleety. uh, Sleety, rainy. I don't remember the sleep, but I'll take your word for it. I wasn't in necessarily my right mind right then. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, cold. I'm not saying it was sleeping and raining on us all night, but it was absolutely cold, and there was absolutely sleep falling uh, on that
1: third, on that what is that second night, second night or third night? There was definitely sleep falling. Second night, um, second yeah, third day, second night. Um, yeah. The Did we get the water drop that night? No, because I specifically, that was a couple days later at the I, don't know, I remember having pants for day three well
0: complete pants without rips in it oh you're saying we did get the drop that we got something i don't know
1: so if it wasn't the drop we at least found
0: found you some extra trousers well i
1: think mac had some too and we were like the happiest individuals on the face of the planet at that point i'm pretty sure you couldn't break me at that point yeah it's like
0: brand (laughs) new man i got new pants (laughs)
1: like to hell with the socks. They're staying on the feet. I am definitely happy with the new pants. I
0: know. That's right.
1: So, so yeah, so we're there and the next morning it's going to be Bang
0: city to take the actual objective. And, um, we picked, I picked this expert excerpt out of the book and this lead in out of the book because one of the, the most in, insane things ever happens. Um, no, that's right. I forgot about that. Happens here. And we'll get back to the book right here. So, uh, So people can get an idea with the silence now, now broken and hate in the air. I communicated with my squad that we needed to hit them hard and soften them up. We could advance to the waist high wall that we'd planned to fight from. I don't know how many machine guns were shooting at us from those two bunkers, but it seemed like four or more. Each bunker had six cat holes cut into them for, for firing platforms. They each had concrete T wall barriers for roofs. They were, they were way impressive, way more conventional than any of the houses in the entire area. As we tried to gain fire superiority, I remember thinking, This is crazy. Machine gun bunkers. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be in this type of fight. I was almost grateful that I hadn't missed it. As up until that point, we were perfect, minus V's through and through. It was everything I wanted. Snaps back to reality. Rounds coming in close, and we needed to press harder. My squad was on the north courtyard wall, now firing into the bunker cat holes. And the battle space was erupting all around us, and we weren't the only ones engaged. The other platoons were likewise in fights as the other, uh, as as well as other attached snipers. After a short period of time where we weren't getting anywhere, so I took a sh- uh, law shoulder-fired rocket off of Corporal Charette's back and then secured my black- back blast area, ensuring I was about to, ro- ensuring I was a, I was not about to rock someone standing behind me when I fired. I fired the rocket thinking I was going to, going to be a showstopper. The rocket hit directly where it was intended <laughs> and exploded to the side of a huge cloud of dust and sand and a massive boom. The enemy machine guns answered right back as if to say, fuck you, that was weak. Matt was not thrilled about carrying the rocket and not firing it, but time was pressing. And, um, yeah, so (laughs) here I think, all right, I'm going to bring out the big dog and get the law, fire the law, Score a direct hit with the law, and ten seconds later they bark right back out of the same holes, and it's like
1: clearly I didn't hit the cat hole, right? Right. because had I hit the cat hole there was going to be no barking. Um, you had to have hit close to it. I mean, but it doesn't matter. Those didn't, uh, didn't get the job done, and so I think that mud might be some sort, some form of. Uh, alloy or something force field <laughs> stuff was serious um so we fire
0: in i think it's going to be a showstopper all it does is piss them off they start hitting us harder and uh we get we have we take an a and a commander that was right with us getting ready to advance and he gets shot right in the running lights uh takes one right to the inside of the cheek rocks him uh I think it's you and doc fowler and some other guys get out there get him back behind our wall and then uh stat, you know doc Doc uh, maybe Doc Fowler Doc Hernandez was working on him at this point it was whichever Doc came out with me I I want to
1: say it was Hernandez I think it was H yeah I think but, it was H because we were because the whole platoon was right there so and yeah, I yeah. think Hernandez usually stayed with uh, with Big Whiskey yep so I think that was uh, he was there with him yeah and, so and I know it was Wetzel that came out there to the wall with me okay so was,
0: you and Wetzel helped
1: get this this
0: Afghan commander who's just been shot in the face. When he was shot, I seen his boots come up. He was hit hard. And uh, the crazy thing about that is doc H with enough wherewithal and um, skill and remained calm enough that he patches this guy up. And between that team, that team that you were with, your team doc to Bravo, you guys were able to get a bird inbound and get that, get that guy in a bird. And, He ends up coming back and fighting with us with a hole in his face, you know, some stupid short amount of time, like a month later. Right. Right. After being shot in the face and it came like in his cheek and blew out the back of his ear. I thought for sure he was smoked. And, uh, enough, he shows back up, you know, with his little, uh, Scars and his and his badass first yeah. sergeant of the Kandak yeah. that carried an RPK. RPK. I was I just gonna say yeah, that dude it. was bad. Yeah, some of those guys. I mean, you want to talk about tough as woodpecker lips, man? These guys were, these guys were the real deal. <laughs> and uh, and so here we are. And, I mean, things are going popping off. Six, seven machine guns, our machine guns. The whole battle space is erupting, and we had what was called ICOM chatter Marines with us, and these these Marines were. Fluent in the local dialect, of wali, and then they would be monitoring and intercepting these two-way radio, unencrypted, yeah, uh, Taliban communications. Correct. So they're they're intercepting these and then relaying to us whatever they're picking up, because you know, just give us a heads up and the whole thing. So at one point they uh, they radio up and they tell us that hey, you know. We don't know what this means, but they're saying they're about to release the big one. Right. And so that gets shuffled down the lines of, you know, everybody that was fighting that day. And there was everybody was fighting that day. So our whole company was. Right. I want to say that our command element was fighting that day as well
1: in the back of us. Um, Actually, I think. Uh, I know they were with us originally, but once we started to push. Captain Biggers was out on that wall that we went out and got that. DNA. I think he was the first one uh, off of. Yeah. When I got out there, everybody was in it. Yeah, for
0: sure. And so, yeah, the, the fighting, the fighting was intense, um, and the big one was the big one was uh, supposed to be inbound. All right. Um. I wanted to cover the part
1: about the big one right here. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I'll say was when we got out to that wall for the, uh, to grab the ANA mm-hmm. first sergeant, <clears throat> there wasn't a whole lot of cover left when we got out there and the dude did not want to get on the stretcher. And I was like, well, I don't care if he wants to get on the stretcher, but he still has to go back to the rear. And there's not a whole lot of cover for me, Wetzel and Doc to be out here messing around right now with two machine gun bunkers, uh, Y'all are pretty much front and center for the machine gun bunkers at this point. We need to get him out of here. Oh, he's going to run. Well, tell him to run his ass off. We'll need him back there. Right. You know. And I don't remember putting him on the bird, but, I mean, somebody definitely put him on the bird because he was out of there. And that was who? That was that first sergeant. That uh, A&A first sergeant. Gotcha. So, gotcha. I, yeah, know, and- I know Big Whiskey called in the medevac on that one. So
0: ICOM chatter marines come in, you know, whatever, thirty minutes, forty minutes goes by. Everybody's like, Well, what the fuck is the big one? Like, what are we gonna do about the big one? We didn't know what the big one was. Yeah, and I mean, we I mean, honestly, we're operating on incomplete information. We don't even know if
1: that was the right translation, but all we know is we're looking out for it. Yeah, I and mean, it could have been a seven foot tall tower a guy coming out the middle with rockets and Yeah, to this point you
0: know, to this point we have no clue. We just know that they have a big one. When We know that they've mentioned having something bigger than us. Right. Or what? something bigger than what they've thrown at us so far. But in my
1: mind, possible V-Bid. And that's that's what it was everybody's mind. Because we were right there by the the, – because there was an an intersection running north right there. And and then, of course, you had MEV Objective 2 right there on 608, and that runs – I mean, it could have come in from the left or the right at this point because we hadn't cleared up the – the the hill with the with the radio tower which is literally right there. So Absolutely. I mean, V-bid is definitely what I was thinking for sure. That's what I was thinking for sure too. And
0: as fate would have it, the big one would come. Yep. And it was not a V-bid. A A bid maybe. You could you could call it what you want to call it. It ended up being nothing. But yeah. what we saw come around this corner and come hauling some serious ass right at us was this giant mule, and I know it sounds, you know, it could sound however it wants to sound, this mule, stood tall, big mule, and the mule probably had five feet tall and three feet or four feet wide of some sort of contraption right. attached to him, covered with a, a large blanket. Yep. And it looked as though the Taliban slapped him on his ass from yes. from back there behind where we couldn't see and said, get the Americans, and he, here he come, and this this thing's running, and
1: whatever this contraption on his back is. I mean, he was basically packed like a Sherpa with, uh, with what we found out later was, was poppy stems. Right, but at but this time, we're looking at, him huge. Come,
0: well, we're looking at him come hauling ass around this corner, and it, he's got this big contraption on his back, and it's shaking side to side, but it's not falling off, and he's running right at us. And, like, to this day, I don't think anybody knows, well, somebody knows. I don't know. But one of the Marines said, It's the big one! Yep. And so while we're laying into two mutually fortified machine gun bunkers, onto the enemy confirmed, firing at us, plus the remainder outliers that are not in those bunkers that are harassing and and, and, and just kind of supporting the machine gunners,
1: um, the entire platoon shifts
0: off of those known enemies (laughs) (laughs) and onto the big
1: one. Which... Dispatched it rather quickly, so not like the machine gun bunkers got that big of a break. Off no,
0: I mean, it was, uh, you know,
1: a solid 10
0: took 15 to 20 seconds that the entire support by fire position reinforced, shifted left, and started laying into this donkey. Right. Or mule, sorry. And, I mean, I think, I make mention in the book, the toughest mule on the planet. Right. Uh, ever. He was taking 240 bursts. Small arms, <laughs> multiple rounds were hitting him at a time, and he would just trudge on, man, like he wasn't going to stop. And we were like, it kill. is the big one, man. He's <laughs> going to kill everybody. And so, you know, whatever. It felt like forever because of the danger that we felt like maybe went involved
1: with it. Right.
0: And the big one starts to go down. And like you said, it sucks. But at the end of the day, the big one had to go down that day, even though he only had, you know,
1: 50 pounds of dried poppy stems on his back right well and you know I was thinking about it you, you know I believe the Taliban would slap it on the ass and get it out of there I mean it's nothing
0: else but other than for a distraction yeah what
1: I think is yeah and it, that might have been their time to get skedaddle yeah just leave their, their their remain behind element to keep us busy while the rest of them get out of there but what I think it was because how they've got like I said they've got Couple of couple of roads that couple of paths that mule could have taken. How did they get it to run right down the bridge? Right down the bridge and then come to where that road actually split our force. And I mean, but I think that donkey or that that mule was intended to come at us somehow. I think it was from our compound, from the Alamo, because you remember we had no, no, that was a donkey. No, no, no. This was a mule. I think that 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 mule. Like, lived at our compound. And then they pulled it there. That was his corral or, or something. We got there. Could be. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to use this tomorrow morning. <laughs> we're going to run this right at him. Yep. And think about that, though, because, like,
0: let's say they did put 50 pounds of anal on him. Oh. I mean. It, and I think- he got anywhere close and they could detonate it. It would have been, been a serious, serious problem. Right. Um, so, yeah, like, as, as funny or not funny as you may think it is, the entire, you know, squad reinforced you know, because we're getting ready to do an action right with the other two squads. They're about to go up and sweep in right. and take this thing down. But, um, the big one goes down and not, uh, not a, not a bad thing. We, we went down. Everybody now feels safer. Everybody feels a whole lot better. And we are able to continue operation. I remember at one point we were really laying into, I guess you could say each other. We hadn't taken any casualties yet, but we surely had dealt some out. And, um, the law rocket didn't work. Just dusted the dusted the the bunker. Um, the fighting didn't subside, and I remember asking Lt. I'm like, Yo, sir, what do we got that's bigger? You know, like what else do we got? And uh, he had already been coordinating with choppers, and mm-hmm. came some gunships. And um, yeah, and so I was, you know, not like it was. I was unaware, but I wasn't thinking about the fact that they have the heads up display system where. The pilot can look and target what he's looking at you yep. know regardless of which way the, the cobra is facing and i remember being on the wall and we're leaning into him and we're getting some i remember looking over and the cobra is pointing like he's going to strafe our squad like he's coming in low and but he looked over like this and that bottom gun said <laughs> and then he started barking bah! And I remember, like instantly for a second, being paralyzed, thinking,
1: "Oh, I hope he's
0: not looking at us." Okay, we're good. Okay, we're good. And get back mm-hmm. up there just because that That's thing is scary. And I mean, what was he? Only a hundred feet, two hundred feet above us. I mean, us he, was, when he
1: was hovering over us damn near. Yeah, that was a pretty crazy one because I it was wanna, insane. I want to say we might have got a couple casings from that from the guy. Oh yeah, dude, it was like a casing
0: t- casing shower over. Now, not like falling directly on me or on, no, but on was, you, but close. On, on the Alamo. Yeah, on that whole on that whole building and that whole. You know that whole stretch right there. They would come in and just bah! that was. Um, you want to talk about some support, man? We had some support there, and uh, and yeah. So uh, that day is getting better and better. Big one goes down. We we got massive amount of support in, and uh, and things are going great. As the entire platoon and company, we're bringing American resolve to the fighters of Marja. And really laying into the machine gun bunkers, a lone mule came running full speed ahead like someone slapped him on the ass and said, Get the Americans! On this mule's back was some sort of contraption covered in a tarp or blanket. Whatever was under the tarp was about three foot high off the mule's back and wider than the mule itself. It was some crazy shit leaning into two machine gun bunkers, knowing that there was enemies in there trying to kill you. Next thing you know, someone yells, It's the big one! The entire platoon reinforced all at once, turning its fires to the big one. With multiple machine guns and several small arms bearing down and unloading into the mule, it was not much of a match. But I will say that this, the amount of firepower he was hit with, he would definitely be considered for one of the toughest mules in the world. I felt bad for the animal in hindsight, as the correct contraption on his back was nothing more than a large load of dried-up poppy. So that, that's the part in the book where we talk about the mule and... Maybe, like, possibly one of the craziest, um, one of the craziest instances, uh,
1: Just for something you wouldn't think about maybe happening,
0: you it, know? It's amazing what you will believe in right. your mind when people are trying to kill you. If somebody says, hey, that
1: donkey's gonna come kill you, hmm, check. Right. If, I believe you wholeheartedly. If it had been a white van that came around the corner and then exploded... We really wouldn't have been surprised and been like, well, yeah, that, that's the no, big one. No nope. doubt about it. The but same the, call would have went out. It would have yeah. been the big one and we would have shifted fires, but... And it would have been like, yeah, we have even come in, blah, 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 blah. Crazy. This one's like, I got a story for you. Like... Yeah. You ever fought a donkey? Yeah. Right. You, you ever fought, fought a mule? Yeah. <laughs> that's why it sticks out in everybody's mind. Right. You
0: know? And so, boom, we secure
1: our... We secure
0: our objective that mm-hmm. day. Um you'd have to read the book for more of the infighting. And there's a lot more that goes into it. The big one goes down. There's fighting for almost the remainder of the day. And, uh, at that point you were right. We did have the chow wagon come in that night. Um, that first night at the Alamo and drop food and water. Okay. And that's probably where you got your frog pants and things of that nature. And then the following day we cleared the objective and it would have been first and third that made their way down and secured the gas station and the large house
1: we ended up living out of um, yeah, yeah the, after we could move the remainder of the water right um, yeah. down there. yeah, the, uh, the plan was not to stay at the Alamo or have a, a squad at the Alamo, but it was uh, out of necessity since we couldn't leave the water for sure, right. But It ended up working out a day or two later, so
0: right, right, right. And so it worked out well. we we got our water, we got you know, we can fast
1: forward a little bit because um, I mean, we really. We kind of consolidated and kind of
0: yeah. There was because we, we had time. An objective at that point. You know? Absolutely, it was time to breathe. It was time to you know take a minute, and um, it's not that the fighting stopped, but it, it drastically slowed down. We yeah. prepared for a counterattack. We built posts down there in the bazaar where we were living. Um, Fortified. Raided the bazaars to eat because when the chow and water choppers came in for emergency resupply. They started taking fire, and they were only able to get the water off yeah. initially. And so, still hungry, still you know, doing our thing. We're doing okay. We're fairing okay. I don't want to make it seem like we're you know in bad bad shape, but definitely worse than what we thought. Yeah. You know, as far as fighting went, already down a you know guy got sick. Guys in the squad. Um, now we got a mule rotten outside the bazaar yeah. where to stink. Yeah, where. uh where we laid waste to him, you know, a couple days before the smells getting stinchy. You know, it's just war, right? It's combat. It's, it's all, all about it. And so um, this was like uh, where my soul
1: started to get sucked out of my,
0: sucked out of my being um, because we went 100 miles an hour for, you know, the first two, three weeks, um, two, three days. No, I mean, it was the first two or three weeks. This was the first two or three days, but as we consolidated, there was still some, some fighting. Um, this was something like the, this was like the 15th. We had some heavy resistance, 16th, heavy resistance, the 17th, we lose courier. Um, our squad goes to reinforce courier that day, uh, with his, or, uh, Lieutenant Neff with his guys. And they got ambushed in the open step crossing to go, go get batteries. And, um, enemy machine gun takes down a whole team, and uh, that was a crazy morning. We were at the Alamo still because we hadn't got all the water down to our firm base, and I just remember hearing over the radio uh, Black Gear, right, unencrypted squad internal comms comes up, and, and they're crackling, uh, and they're saying, hey, we need help. We got guys down, and I remember thinking, you know, we weren't that far from them, less than a cliff, like right around eight 900 meters yeah. from where their position was, and nobody, when the sun came up, got hit. And we're just kind of sitting around thinking, you know, by now they've had their chai, and Right. They're yeah, laying yeah. into us. Yeah. Cause so it you can was just weird. Oh, uh, a- absolutely. In Marja, it was like morning, call to prayer, give them 30 minutes to drink their tea and Dig get their, their weapons, get their mags topped off. And then they're, they're coming to bang. And so it was just kind of like one of those eerie mornings. Like the hell's going on? Like where you at, right? Right. you know, like we're here. And, uh, and yeah, then then fire erupted to the south of us, back behind us. And it was Neff's guys opening that opening that step. Uh Courier goes down. Tim Smith, a buddy of mine that came from three two, gets the top of his forearm blown off by by a couple of the rounds in the burst. Horn Horn took one in the
1: wrist. Horn took one in the guy.
0: wrist. Yep. And so you had instantly a bad situation. So I'm I'm sitting in uh <laughs> I'm sitting in the Alamo on kind of like on radio watch when I yeah. hear all this stuff start popping off. And I remember, you know, we got right in the over with the quartering party and who knows where they're at at this point. And I just know that I got Marines out there. So it's like, Hey, we got to go help these guys. And, uh, and that's what we did. So when we got over there, we helped these guys out. Um, they, they were in a horrible ambush. They got caught in the open, lost the whole team instantly. Um, one KIA, two WIA out of the team. And I, I remember making the run over there, something like 900 meters. Me and Wetzel are sprinting; uh,
1: the rest of the guys trying to catch up to us. Um, uh, me and Big Whis- Whiskey were uh, tailing Charlie, bringing up the rear, making sure no one's trying to squirt. You know, and then we left Bennett,
0: I think, with a red star cluster and a wish, <laughs> and said, "Hey man, if things go bad, fire this up, and we'll ping pong back over to you." Right. Um, and uh, and that's what we did, man. We got over there, we 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 relieved some pressure off a of laney squad. And, um, yeah, I remember coming in and their squad was green. Yeah. They had a lot of shock. And, um, mm-hmm. and it, it was bad. I mean, it was, they were, they were in bad shape they had just put Kurt, you know, brought, brought courier in and he was expired. And then, um, he looked good. He was in good shape for, for, yeah, for, for, for the events that took place. And, um, got Laney, uh, Tim Smith came up to me and showed me his arm and I'm like, Oh my God, dude, are you okay? You know, they were, they were still fighting. You guys had already started putting people in posts. I had dropped off a couple, a couple of the guys on the way in. I think knuckles was set in watching. I mean, we set a whole perimeter with, with our guys around their perimeter. Um, and, uh, then when big whiskey and you guys pulled, pulled in sealed up the back door and All right, guys, as you can see, we uh, picked up this uh, this recording at a different location, and we're actually on location at our sponsor site, Mr. Uh, Mister Harlan, with the Louisiana Gun Shop, and then we're going to have him on in a future episode talking about what he offers, uh, what, licenses, what licenses he can clear you for, what certifications he can give you, because it's not just concealed. But here in the gun shop, so we're going to kick right back into the episode, going back to the book now. Um, where we left off, we were talking about... Um, the attack on 1st platoon and sergeant Lane's Squ- squad um, and so we're just kind of build that up from the book and then we'll get back into it. Shortly after sunrise, the air began to crackle to our south where 3rd was located. I leased up and got my gear close by. I had the feeling that things were going sideways from the frantic sounds of broken transmissions coming through the XTF flag gear. I, uh, I couldn't make it, I couldn't make out much but what I did notice is that the enemy fire was going ballistic. It sounded like multiple machine guns and possibly RPGs, depending on who was firing them. Maybe Neff had ANA with rockets as well. Over the Black Gear, <clears throat> there were calls from 3rd that they had men down and they had no encrypted comms to call for support assets. Knowing that I had Marines with the unit and knowing that we were the closest element capable of reaching them with enough combat power to aid relief, I yelled over to Sassar Sergeant Wright that I was going for them. He told me to hang on a minute as he needed to get clearance from LT, and I laced up and grabbed... Uh, he told me to hang, hang on a minute as he needed to get clearance from LT. I laced up and grabbed Knuckles, Charette, Sadiq, and Earmuffs, our ANA RPG gunner. We called him Earmuffs because he always wore these tricolor camo earmuffs no matter what the temperature. I told Staff Sergeant Wright I, I, I was going to push. He instructed me again to hold on. The LT was not happy about having my, guy, my guys in a fight with no resources. Was wasn't uh, too much for me. I grabbed the radio and asked Staff Sergeant if he was coming with me or charging me. He wasn't happy either and he said, I'll bring up the rear. I nodded and pushed to the southwest wall near Grimes's post. I gave him a red star cluster and told him to start getting if he started getting attacked to pop it off and hold for reinforcements. We were going to help third. Over the radio, the radio trans- the crackling transmission sounded like they were multiple marines down, one KIA. This was bad, I thought. Pushed up the southeast exit and into a sprint. Lance Corporal Wetzel accompanied his way echeloned out in pairs. We ran the entire way, the gunfight, getting the gunfire getting louder and louder as we closed. I was in great shape, but my lungs were burning as we ran through the cold air. Soon we'd be coming up on the northeast edge of the massive buildings, I believe to be 3rd Platoon's location. We were about 300 yards out now, and I sought for a break to try to contact 3rd. We need a connecting file uh, for you guys to guide us through the area. Uh, we don't know where the enemy was even firing from, and we needed to wait for the rest of our element to close the gap, most of whom were now slowed to a walk. Only seconds had gone, gone by, and the connecting file popped out of the back of the compound to the, uh, from the south and waved us in. Staff Sergeant Wright was way behind, uh, but we left Marines to walk. But we left Marines out there to walk them in, as we had a good squad communication now. If he was turned around, he would have eyes on him anyway and have multiple A Marines, uh, a marine or two with him. When I walked to the courtyard for the first time, I saw the entire platoon gazing around, staring off into space. My buddy from 3-2, Tim Smith, was shot in the initial contact and tore the entire top of his forearm off. I remember coming into the compound and seeing him after Lieutenant Neff uh, was completely green. Physically, they were in a bit of shock, and they were literally green in the face. A few Marines from 3rd were on post, but not acting effectively. They were just chilling, not returning fire to the enemy or taking proactive measures. I grabbed my first three Marines close by, and I started to move through the interconnected compounds. I placed Knuckles with his saw in the northeast corner just outside the courtyard to watch our six. Then I dropped over... I then dropped over a compound and set up a machine gun post with Sadiq by knocking a portion of the mud hut wall out with buttstocks of the weapons. He set in and started to fire on one confirmed enemy position, instantly achieving hits and shutting the enemy gun down. Next, I went back to the firm site and observed the rest of Staff Sergeant of Sergeant Laney's guys began to come back to life. He, too, was now getting guns and taking them into the fight to the enemy. Staff Sergeant Wright was now coordinating a link-up with air to evacuate our dead and wounded. He was always the calmest person on the battlefield. I tried to emulate that. I ran back to the compound to pay my respects to PFC Courier, who was hit by bullets of a machine-gun burst. He was laying on a big pile of feed and fertilizer covered up with someone else's poncho liner. I remember thinking how, how all the faces of the dead always seemed to be so at peace. Courier one of the new guys that we picked up from SOI and checked in while we were on pre-deployment leave. I knelt beside him, pulled the poncho liner off his body. He looked at peace. He looked like a hero. He was in good shape for the number of times he had been hit. I said a short prayer and thanked him for his sacrifice and apologized that he'd been called up too soon. I covered, back, covered him back up and proceeded out of the courtyard and back to work. And that kind of leads up and kind of gets you to where we are in the conversation already. Um, like I said, staffs aren't right. Calm as hell, you know. Gets back on the hook and just starts doing work. Kind of gives me the nod, like I got this. Go, go get some, you know. And um, that that was a. I guess that was the the day that
2: we learned that we weren't invincible anymore. Which um, we well, had already gotten a taste of that with uh with Vakulo, but not to that extent. Not to extent. that extent. Yeah.
0: And a couple lessons learned just from that time. I remember running in the courtyard and seeing that, um, seeing my buddy Tim jacked up, pat on his arm. He kind of took it off, showed me. I'm like, oh my God, it was nasty. It was, uh, yeah, it was like the whole top of his forearm was was just shredded off. And uh, he said, "Yo, dog, I'm super thirsty." And I'm like, "Oh, I got you." Not thinking about it, he's gonna be, you know, in the Freedom Bird in about 10 minutes, eating ice cream at Leatherneck, you know, chilling. Or uh, uh back in Germany on the way, you e- know. Either way, whatever happened to him, I know he's going to a place with goodies and, and I'm going to be stuck in the desert. And I wasn't thinking about that. And this dude sucked my entire two liters dry, which he, I'm sure he had cotton mouth and he was shot and the nerves and everything. Problem is he got on the bird and flew away and I was still in a fight for the next five hours or a week and, uh, or four hours, however long it took. Um, yeah, and so... uh <laughs> my little uh my little message out there to you guys is if you're in a gunfight and uh somebody gets wounded don't let them drink all your water because they got plenty of water where they're going and uh and you don't so so you know that happened and i i uh i moved back to knuckles i moved back to knuckles's area which uh he was covering that six that north six o'clock kind of where we were coming from and there was uh the old red and white radio tower up there yep. that. Uh, Assumingly, like the Brits or somebody built during during some time over there, because it's red and white. Beautiful technology that was coming up out of there it had uh, buildings at the bottom, cased in walls. Fence, yeah, yeah. And so um, when I came up to knuckles, he said, "I said, what are you doing so far back? I told you, like, You're not, you can't cover anything until it gets to you here." He's like sniper out there, star. I'm like sniper. I peeked my head out and swapper round hits the, uh, within seconds, round hits the wall right beside my head. And I come back in, I'm like, dude, you you ain't lying There's a sniper out there. (laughs) And um, I think, you know, he ended up being up in that radio tower. And I want to say that, I want to say that Cobra shot him. But I can't, I I can't recall exactly how it went down. Uh, I know that he was mitigated in the future, though. Yeah. Um, In short order. huh?
2: Wasn't it supposed to be a Chechen or something like that? Hmm.
0: I think that's what they said, uh, touching him with a dragon off, yeah. um, which makes sense, 800-yard shot that, with that a 15-mile-an-hour yeah. crosswind and he misses by a couple inches from probably a 100-foot elevation. I mean, a hell of a shot, even the miss.
2: Yeah, he's pretty good.
0: <coughs> anyway, uh, that happens, so I'm like, all right, what no, you can say right here, I think you're right. You know, anybody it comes through that door <laughs> cut him in half. Good know? call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good call on that. Another lesson learned. Lance Corporal tells you there's a sniper out there. Just trust him. Just trust him. All right, Roger. Because two inches to the right, and that was going to peel my whole face in. Right. um, Or throat, which would have been horrible.
2: Yeah, good thing was there was a bird coming in for you. Yeah, you know, that's a fact.
0: So, uh, from there, you know, the bird came in and picked up the dead and wounded. We were still banging, um, getting after it. And uh, I remember one of the... I don't know if you say defining, but one of the moments that was kind of wild in that, uh, exchange was when I had a guy break down, you know, and, uh, young guy, Wetzel, uh, point man, you know, first deployment. And, uh, I think just seeing courier, just seeing one of, you know, somebody with us Marines on their bad, you know, on their, on their, on their front nameplate, uh, wrote it up like that was uh just more i guess more at the time than he could really grasp um and and he started to break down i remember you know uh, two bravo grabbed him up started really getting in his face like you know hey, we got you know we got a war to win and and so like there's of, of course there's guys and there's situations where that's necessary i knew wetzel enough to know that this was not that situation that's not what he did. Right. And so I just, you know, tactfully it's that's mine. I got this, you know, turn loose, you know, and uh, I just told what I was very calmly said, Hey man, people are dead and people are dying and you can't engage with water in your eyes through an RCO. So I need you to dry your eyes up if you don't want any more people laying on fertilizer bags today and dried up and carried on and did fine after that. But he had that moment, you know, where everything became real. And uh probably started contemplating his own fate, you know. Right. Got in his head about it. And um the big thing to tell guys, we were talking about this earlier in the shop, is uh that's normal behavior. I'm not gonna say that the tears and stuff is normal behavior, but all those feelings, some guys tears, some guys sick stomachs, some guys uh, extreme exhaustion, um, and that day was just a little mush for him and you know, he had a moment, but, uh, after his moment, we got back after it and we still had contact to the South down towards Kathy. And, uh, I wouldn't know. Yeah, we had, we had contact down towards Kathy still for sure. And, uh, so we started to echelon kind of out of that, you know, uh, Laney squad started echelon towards the CP to get those batteries that they were after and the different things. And, uh, and then we started echelon back to Alamo and, um, and yeah, I, I mean, it lasted several hours, but I, I remember also on the way back, I kept hearing these shots, bang, 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 and I'm like, why is go-? I turn around and it's uh, two bravo, and he's like hoisted up on a wall, bang, he's like, it's going to take me 15 shots to get this range, but I'm going to get these bastards,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, uh, and I don't know that he ever hit anybody from there, and it's very well he may have, but we were echeloning back at that point, and he was just kind of trying to take some last. Uh, parting shots, if you will, trying to keep them stifled in the back. Because a lot of times, like, we figured out later that they would wait for us to echelon away from them and then amass forces and the start the to age, hit us. And that's when they'd hit us. And they would hit us on the RTB, uh yeah. so. Um, crazy day. Um, we echelon back with no problems. We get back, and again, I, you know, I think Wetzel had some talks. A couple of the other younger guys just had to tell him, hey, like, this is You can do everything right in this game, and people will still die. It's the real real deal. Yeah, so let's mitigate our errors to not have unneeded deaths, and let's keep our emotions in check at least until we get back to a place of semi-security. And then you can have your moment. Have your moment. It's okay to have your moment. I mean, I talked about it before that I had my moment when Hanson passed. Yep. Or did we not? I might not have talked in depth about that yet. Anyway. Mm-hmm. You might have mentioned it, uh, but we'll get to it. We're going to cover that a little bit more in depth as well. But, um, yeah, so Courier goes down, and we, you know, really, it just becomes um, real for everybody. And we were humbled and uh, and no longer invincible, and we knew it, you know, as far as death was concerned, at least. And, um, and so we carry on with that. We get back to the Alamo, spread load, uh, you know, ammo. Make sure everybody's good. Yeah, yeah. Cause
2: we were still surrounded at that point. Oh, 100%. I don't even think they had gotten the trucks to push through. From, no, Lima uh, was in still India. taking.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean they, they didn't, didn't get, they get through until
2: on. a week later almost. So for at least three yeah. or four days later. Yeah, they didn't break through till. Well, no, that's not true. Yeah, yeah, well, they broke after They Hanson, broke. but it wasn't. They was broke, broke through before
0: Hanson, Hanson, but after the radio tower yeah. mission. So, yeah, so contentious uh, emotions, things, uh, things going wrong for the first time, I would say. Um or things not going wrong, but definitely bad things happening for the first time. And uh, we're we're in the 18th, so we're in five days and we lose Courier. Uh, We lose Timbo Smith for the remainder of the deployment because his wounds were too bad. Horn was was down. And then, um, and third just really shook up, man. I, uh, I remember, you know, their leadership. I remember Lieutenant Neff, I remember uh, Sergeant Laney and, and yeah, there's there's no blame for that. You just had a single burst take out your whole front team. Right. Which requires the rest of your squad to carry them all back over two hundred meters while being you shot at through you just through the open. Yeah. To get to a building that you now you're shook. Right. And um just a desperate situation there. Uh it's the first time I ever seen a human being really turn green. And uh and yeah, that was uh it was a crazy day. I remember going back and uh, and just thinking what the fuck just happened like what and we we got some guys I'm not gonna say we didn't get any but they got ours oh, and, right. and that was a fucking problem and so um hate discontent animosity building and we haven't even pushed through our well, i mean we've pushed through our objective with the with the first two squads, and they're down holding those uh those buildings waiting on us to arrive but you know, we still got 10,000 bottles of water back at the island. Right. We're trying to shuffle to different platoons. And um, yeah, so it just became, it became stupid. It became stupid. So we get back and uh, the water needs to get shuffled down to our forever home, as far as we know. And so that became second squad. Yeah uh filling tarps and poncho liners up and then carrying thousands of bottles of water what a click? Not a click, maybe half a click. I don't even know. It was like two, three hundred meters up to the land bridge and then we figured two or two hundred meters or so through the through the 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 bazaar bazaar. to the (laughs) end of the bazaar, yeah. So Well you remember we had Opie or K bar. K bar, yeah. So (laughs) Woundy had had uh come back, (laughs) Woundy goal, the uh A and A Partner, squad leader, he comes comes back, same guy that cooked the rooster at the at the Alamo, uh, the one night, and he comes back and nostalgia. Uh, uh, donkey carried water, and I'm like, do tell, <laughs> say more, tell me what you think. And he like, remember that thing he like found no. or some wood, and he like made like a cross saddle load bearing structure on this little animal's back. And then we loaded that bitch down. Yeah. That donkey was carrying hundreds and hundreds of bottles of water at the same time. Each trip. And uh, sure enough, Wundie got this little donkey, and you know Wundie's what all of, all of all of about five two, and he's got eyeliner on for war paint and makeup for war paint. His his damn gun was bedazzled with like clear cellophane and jingle beads, paper sure. and jingle beads, yeah. And here he is out there with like a little switch of uh poppy stem slapping this little donkey on the ass telling him to get moving carrying all them waters
2: and then i think he rode it back to the alamo a couple times i got a a picture of him riding up to the alamo on the donkey
0: like it was fucking weapon slung and everything i'm like only only in afghanistan never did i think that i would witness this kind of stuff so um but yeah, so K-Bar helps us shuffle the rest of the water down to the Alamo, and then finally after a period of days of shuffling water, uh, we broke it down. Yeah, we make it down there. I remember the first trip we took down there, you were with me, and it was like basically the whole squad, minus like three or four post-standers and two Bravo, stayed back, <laughs> right? And um, and as we come up, I remember Herbie being there, and he had that big, yeah. huge yep. wooden bowl, and we hadn't eaten in a couple of days, at least me and you, because we had... Eaten what we had eaten and then gave the rest of our food out. I know I gave two or three main meals out that were stripped to, to some of the guys.
2: I had the bottom of the, of the bag mm. in case. Hit one of the chicken star or the star kids tuna or whatever. Yep, yep. I yep. had that just in the bottom of the bag. Just, hey, we might need that here in a emergency. emergency rations. We'll just leave that where it's at. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, so it became stupid. But I remember when we got down there, um, Herbie came up, hey, get your squad. Follow me. And they had uh, raided the bazaar there and got a bunch of rotten potatoes and cut out as much of the rot as they could and still salvaged food. And they got a bunch of eggs, uh, chicken eggs that were just laying everywhere inside that one. Rice. You know, And some rice and actual chickens. And they butchered them and, and then started a fire uh, and cooked this up, some scrambled eggs, potatoes, and chicken and rice. And I remember it was like the best meal. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure we all got dysentery from it. Like certain. hundred percent certain. Uh and that's probably from
2: the water that Wendy boiled the shit in. But um Not like we didn't have so much water in bottles of water, but ten thousand of them. Yeah. They they like to use that to wash their feet, not
0: uh Yeah, not their food. Not their food. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um so I I just remember him giving us that food and everybody was like hands going in to these eggs and potatoes and just like, and after that, it was like, let's fight. let we're ready. We're good. And there was no fight. Yeah, there's nothing. Walking back to get more water, (laughs) but we had energy. Um, and so we got all the water down after, you know, a number of days of traveling back and forth and back and forth. And then finally we all consolidated down at our, um, at our compound that we would yeah, be the living in at in least the until the, the street. Yeah, we had a gas station and then master Bombmaker's house or a parent assumed bomb maker's house. Um, and it was nicer than the other compounds for sure. Had two story It had uh multiple compounds in our side because hind squad stayed on the left. We stayed on the right. And then JT squad stayed over in the um gas station with LT. And... Uh, yeah, so and now we're here, and now it's like now we got to wait for Lima Company to show up to open the glock, the ground line of communication, get us our packs, get us mail, open up the, the glock so that engineers can come through, roll through, and make us a cop to live out of because we're living right. on an like in infected month. hut. You know, uh, I never minded living in the mud. I'm not going to so. say I minded it until the day that I seen how much shit we were breathing through through the air wow. and I'm like, mm, that can't be good. Yeah, but
2: that's just that's just the place. Yeah, that's small problems at that point, to be right. honest. Um so yeah know, it's so small particles of dust or larger pot- particles of lead, which <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you yeah, choose? I'll take the dust for now. <laughs> <laughs> um later, later
0: in that deployment I might have told you I'd take the lead Is it right? I, I don't know. <laughs> But um I mean there's
2: always that ice cream if
0: it's a lucky wound. That's right, give me a three and three baby. No, no I'm would, just joking. No, I would have hated that. Yeah for I sure. too. But um uh, but yeah, I mean, just very, uh, very wild opening to a deployment. And, um, and I'm going to say, like, everybody did their job good. Everybody, uh, Staff Sergeant got birds in and got guys out of there. And uh, and we took the fight to the enemy along with uh, Sergeant Laney's squad mm-hmm. and Lieutenant Neff's, you know, guys really got after them. And um, it, as bad as the day was, it could have been worse. Uh, so we try to find the good in that, the calm on the battlefield. Um, after action and debrief that with the junior guys that you know struggled with some of that stuff in the hut that night and kind of just moved on from there and 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 that's something that a lot of people don't understand is we don't get a proper goodbye to our friends um we don't get to see the funeral we don't get to go to the celebration of life and tell all the crazy stories about them and all the wild things that they used to do and um and celebrate what we get is a you know a chopper scoops them up and then they take them away and then we come home to a memorial, you know, mm-hmm. at best. Um, and so that's effectively the last time that we see our friends is them pulling away in a chopper, bloodied up. And and, uh, in my opinion, most people don't think about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't get the closure that you would get with somebody at home. And so, um, and that becomes hard. And it just becomes one of those things that you have to put in the back of your head. You have to compartmentalize and say, okay, that happened. And I can't think about that for the next eight months. So yes, it happened. I don't want to talk about it no more. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. So um, obviously, from my perspective, is is going to be completely different from your your perspective, and that's one of the great things about having you on for this review and doing this uh, the the review together and, and the podcast together. Is um, you know when I talk to you about your experiences, you experience things even though you might have been shoulder shoulder with me, your experiences of that war in general were uh, completely different than mine. And the next guy next to you seen it completely different than you. And so, like, what's your take on, let's say, start that morning um, from the time that we started hearing the rounds popping off at third up through, you know, getting back to the Alamo? Um, I
2: guess... I just remember I heard someone say, "Hey, we're going." I don't remember. I don't even remember what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Was I walking around checking posts. I don't know. Maybe trying to. I don't know. Do something. And hell uh, with it. We're going. All right, let's go. And I took up tail end Charlie with Stazart, and we rolled. And I remember that uh, it was so cold all the time, and that was the first time that I felt like I had gotten warm. The entire time we had been there, and I'm wearing my green sweatshirt underneath my flack. And when we made that run, I was like, Staff Sergeant, I'm I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> this is not a good situation. Um, me and Staff Sergeant bring in Taylor and Charlie. We enter the building. We enter the compound where y'all came in. Staff Sergeant sees, you know, one KIA, two WIA. Said, "Charret, get on in. Get on the casualties help talk. Because I'm a combat. I was a combat lightsaber. So." Time to save some lives. I want to go help y'all. Yeah, yeah. And I, Doc pretty much had the situation under, under under control by the time we got there. Yeah, and but, they had a corpsman with them too, because I remember Timbo was already patched
0: up on his arm, and he had to even take the bandage down to show me the wound. And, well, take all of the bandage down. It was his
2: whole arm, basically. Right. And Horn's, Horn's wound was similar to his. I don't know how you get one guy who, who just gets it completely, meaning courier, and then... Timbo and sure you Horn didn't think about the cone of fire. Yeah. True. Um, but one was in it and two were out to the sides. I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think Horn was actually the, the point man of that team, too. Yeah. I don't think Courier was. I think Courier was the saw gunner, but mm-hmm. they're not quite certain that Tim Smith, as a corporal, was leading that he team. He was the team. Yeah, he was the team there. And
0: So he lost what him and two other of his team. Right. So there was only one guy left of that team, if it was a full team at the time. Right. Yeah, the other guy might have been pushed
2: out to company for a... Uh, yeah whatever you call that damn thing. Quartering party. Quartering party. And, uh, so I just sat there. I had known, I had known Horn because he was from around the same area I grew up. Right. And, uh, I said Horn, you going into shock right now or, uh, what's going on? He's like, uh, I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're going into shock. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Drink this. Put your feet up in the air, please. I will beat those boots. And, uh, went took a look at carrier yeah and then uh call came out for the bird to come in grabbed one by the uh by the carrying strap of his flak jacket and ran him out there and then dust off got off and he was like here y'all ordered this and threw me a stretcher and also like, no, he, oh, he did. did it was for courier and i was yeah. like we don't need this anymore and mm-hmm. like well y'all ordered it so y'all gotta take it and i remember rounds popping by us hitting hey i'm okay taking a stretcher back Especially fold. I don't think that was pulled, It was pulled, wasn't it? It was put. Yeah, it was an old. It was a fold-out fold. Yeah. And uh, I said we don't want it because we. I didn't want to carry it. So. No. Uh, oh, yeah. All good. So. Yeah. Um. Grab the stretcher, finally, and uh, off they went. Off they went and pretty much broke down from there. I think I tried to get out to y'all, but I think I tried to turn a corner and then couldn't figure out where the hell y'all were at, maybe. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I know you made it to us at one point. I mean, there was a lot that went on that day. While you were while you were back there, um, we were <clears throat> taking fire from Salimi's house, which was directly right. to, like, to the west of us. And, um... Might have been... I think it was west. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There, there were people all over his house, and I remember... Um, I was working up a mortar mission when staff sergeant finally peeled out of your guys' situation and came into ours and and then uh, two Bravo being crazy was trying to draw fire from the enemy so we can of get better, better rounds on target. Me and him were actually arguing about who was going to draw fire and uh, it came down to stay the fuck right here. I'm doing it. You don't have an option. You're married. Shut up and so he went out and drew the fire and then you know we dropped some mortars on that compound which kind of stifled the fight uh i don't know why either we killed them or they got scared and ran or they got scared and boogied out yeah because they stopped shooting at us for sure and uh and then you know broke down from there and headed back to the alamo but
2: the other thing i remember about the alamo when we were breaking it down with the water was um do you remember when First sergeant came? Yeah, I was like, "What do y'all need?" Marines and like sleeping bags. We need our, our ship. We need our main bags. Yeah, somebody like, brought up mail. No, he brought up mail. Yeah. He was like, "Oh, no, we're gonna get y'all some mail." I'm like, "No, we want our sleeping bags." I don't have a sleeping bag or warming layers in my mail. There better <laughs> be newspaper in that because I'm definitely stuffing that in my clothes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that got, uh, that got silly. So. Yeah, so. Uh,
0: just kind of wrap this one up. I think we'll leave it at the Alamo there and then pick up. I think we got uh, we got a good episode with Grimes coming up and get his perspective on uh, the loss of the first couple of Marines, uh, one of them being Matt Hanson, which was his roommate and his best friend. And, um, you know, one notable thing is, you know, you see how Wetzel, let's say, and it's not to pick on him, but... You see how he handled the situation, and then you go to Grimes, who is the same peer group, came in at the same time, same seniority, same rank, same everything, same life, basically. I mean, obviously, their growing up and rearing was a bit different, but their entire Marine Corps life was the same, and uh, to see Wetzel not be able to compartmentalize it and really tear into him, and to see Grimes go to this place of oblivion, like, nah, whatever, and it's like, this is your roommate. And, uh, so the psychology of death in a combat zone is fun. Um, not funny that people are dying, but it's just funny to see the way it works. The, right. the, the amount of different reactions you may have to the same exact incident uh, right. with different folks. So, and, and again, that's another thing to stress is that these things are normal. It, uh, if you feel bad, it's normal. If you feel completely detached, normal. And I say normal because everybody goes through it in a different way, but it always ends up somehow the same. If it doesn't fuck with you right then, it'll probably fuck with you later that night when you're trying to go to sleep. If it doesn't do it then, it'll probably fuck with you when you get home. And at some point, you're going to have feelings and emotions about this stuff. Um, One of the goals for this podcast uh, in general is just to say, hey, that's okay, first of all. Uh, This is normal, and there's no reason to let this situation define the rest of your life. And, uh, and so that's what we mean to do, is to show people that said, nope, I'm not gonna let it define my life and I'm gonna live my life and I'm still, still gonna grind it out. I'm still gonna use the core principles that I learned from my organization, whether that be the Army, the Marine Corps, the Navy, you know, the Air Force or the Guardsmen, you learn those uh, core principles and those uh, attributes good to a leader and good to a service member in whatever rank and file you're in and then it seems to me that the successful guys hold on to those and some of the some of the lost guys uh, I wouldn't even call them unsuccessful I call them stuck they get stuck in their mind thinking about this stuff or not doing proper counseling and um, and then you pay for it if you do that and um, if you don't do that though you can still live a happy successful life and sure, are you going to be sad sometimes? Yep, you're going to be sad. Are you going to be angry at the world sometimes? Yep, you're going to be angry. Um, but the worst thing you could do is get out, let that let that moment, that one finite moment in time um, define the rest of your being. And uh, and a lot of times, what at least what I've seen, is the guys that are affected the most by this stuff are guys that get out and have no purpose. Yep. Now you're you're sitting around purposeless, and uh, whether you retired or you were forced out or you just decided to get out, you're still sitting around thinking about being in and thinking about that being the only purpose of your life. And now what? Like war doesn't transition to the civilian world is what a lot of guys say, but it's not true in my opinion. took me a while to figure it out, but there's a lot of things that we, I did in war, you did in war, that absolutely you reto- you resort back to in mm-hmm. your daily life. Absolutely, like, like I mean, you talk about it all the time. That every day's a every, every day's, day's a firefight. A firefight, yeah. Every day's a firefight for you, and you just take those same um, tools that made you successful in a gunfight: the the calm, the work through it, the never quit, the keep your drive. Um, and it's funny because when we talk on the phone and you're on the way home from work, it's like you're debriefing me on a patrol that went down, Like you wouldn't believe this motherfucker, you know. And here you're talking about some roughneck, you know, either oil field guy or uh, from from your time at Slumber J yeah. or, or you're talking about, you know, some machine giving me issues somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Do, doing mechanics on a machine giving you issues, and and you, and you work it out. And and that I mean that's a huge thing. It's a huge thing to say. I'm not going to let this define my life, but everything that I did leading up to it has defined my life and will continue to for the positive. And, um, and so that's great. But, uh, you got anything, anything to add on that? No, I'm good. You want to, uh, want to go ahead and wrap it? Yeah, I think we'll wrap this one right here. And like I said, guys, you see the guns in the background, we're going to do a uh, podcast coming up here in a, just a few short episodes of the releasing. And it's going to be Harlan the owner of the Louisiana yep. gun shop who you know, at this point, just really stepped out on a lamb saying, I know you're not going to bring me a lot of business in the beginning. And you may be not ever, excuse me, you may be not ever bring me business. However, I believe in what you're doing. And I believe in the cause of what you're doing enough, even as somebody that doesn't serve, hadn't served in the military. He's a gun guy. He supplies guns to, these, to the military guys down here in uh, Louisiana, just like he supplies them to everybody else. But He's also involved in explosives training for some of the roughneck crews that have to go out and drop demo charges down. And we're going to talk about Special all of that.
2: Special uh, crews uh, coming in for uh, uh, Hollywood Productions or whatever. Explosive training for yep. that, yep. Uh,
0: and then concealed carry licensing, um, that as well. Does any kind of AR build that you can think of, um, pistols, uh, laser engraving. And so we'll really get after it with him and talk about what he can offer. Also, um, I'll go ahead and say it now just to, just to preload you guys, but and he is now up and running um, nationally uh, with a website, and you can build everything that you want to build right here at Harlan Shop via an online portal and then have it mailed to your FFL closest to your house and go and pick it up for a $20, $25, I think. Uh, oh, no, that's his that's his whatever FFL is going to have whatever, uh, yeah, charge. but like, 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 especially in the Jacksonville area, I've had them sent to Semper Five, I've had them sent to Stumpies, I've had them sent to multiple places and it's about a $25 transfer fee that, you know, and, and cause
2: they're trying to get your business to, to furnish that thing. Oh, sure. But yeah, I have know. seen some FFLs even in this area that are like hundred dollars. I could believe that about dollars. this area.
0: I just think that in the Lejeune area, um, where a lot of our support comes from is coming out of, I think that there's so many gun shops because 115,000 Marines across the street that they all kind of got to play by Johnny's rule. Mm-hmm. Whichever Johnny is the highest, and they're not going higher than that, and whichever Johnny's the lowest, they're not going lower than that because you will lose business. They're, you know, just gonna go, sure. they're just gonna go to the, the next shop. And so in my experience, at least in the Jacksonville area, a lot of these uh, transfer fees are $20, $25, something like that, so. Um, that's good to know because you can be sitting up in Ohio. Uh, I know we got a fan base in Ohio, started up early, North Carolina, Louisiana, you're in any one of these states, you can get on Make This Build custom all the way, yep. and and then have it shipped to you in a matter of days, and uh, and really not have to do anything. You'll be supporting the podcast. you'll be supporting uh, Harlan's uh, Louisiana gun shop down here, and, and we would, we'd appreciate that. Uh, one last final note, just administrative if you have not smashed that like button or that subscribe button on on whatever platform you're following right now, be it Spotify Breaker, anchor, YouTube, uh, whatever you're listening to us on, it would help us and would go a long way algorithmically uh, to to get those uh, you know those likes and those subscribes up because that's something that we can track analytic data on and it's also uh, what goes into monetizing to start bringing um bringing some money into the podcast and it's not that this money or it's not that this podcast is about money that's not actually what we're about at all but it does take a little bit of money for the equipment
2: to and maintain travel.
0: things and, and then the big thing is to travel to get these interviews done and uh and so yeah, so smash that like and uh, hit that subscribe button, and we appreciate everybody's support. And um,
2: don't forget about the book. Don't forget about the writing and, yeah, contest.
0: One more, one more plug here. This is uh, if you haven't seen it, this is Lines of Marja. It's a book that I wrote about our 2010 deployment that we've been covering in the first three, four episodes of the the uh, podcast here, and uh, available on Amazon.com for I don't know what it is now. I think 16, seventeen, 17 yeah. bucks, seventeen bucks, something like that. Yep. Uh, If you're local to the Louisiana area, uh, the book is also being sold right here at the Louisiana Gun Shop in Broussard at uh, Harlan's location. You can pick one up here. Um, Here, Amazon and- uh, Barnes and Noble. You can order it through Barnes and Noble. It's a non-returnable book, so Barnes and Noble won't stock the shelves with them because then they feel like they'll be stuck with what doesn't sell, but, um, and that's fine with me. Uh, I'm very confident, however, that if you take this book home and you crack it open, and uh, like I said, everything we're talking about is in way more detail in the book. Um, and 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 it'll be good. It'll be good. And I don't think you'll want to return it. Um, if you don't like reading, this podcast is for you because we're going to cover the book and then it's going to be straight interview style uh, podcasting, a conduit for information passing for the veteran community at large. And then, you know, everybody else as well. We don't want to think that this is just for veterans because there's a wealth of information that's can come out of this podcast and already has come out of this podcast, either for the warfighter uh, contractor that's still going downrange or for the everyday citizen that, uh, you know, that wants to know. Uh, questions are going to be answered on this podcast and things are going to be talked about on this podcast that you were told not to ask about when you were, uh, when you were growing up. And that's something that we mean to change because the talking is good. Uh, I went a period of years in the bottom of an alcohol bottle and uh, purpose, purposeless, you know, after being uh, retired out. And uh, and that was the hardest time of my life. So now having something else to focus on, bringing that help to other people and and really being an advocate for getting out there and talking. Um, in World War II and Vietnam, the guy, and maybe not Vietnam, but World War One, World War II, these guys sat on a ship and they talked about this stuff on the way home before they split their separate ways. And now it's like you're, the, you know, your 24 hour plane fight from coming home and then, you know, your unit being disintegrated and going its separate ways. And, and so I'm not saying that's a mistake, but I am saying that it took a lot of the talking out of it, uh, for people that were like-minded and in the same situations, you know, and, uh, and there's something to be said about that. So anyway, we're going to leave it right there for tonight, guys. Uh, it's been a long one. It's been uh, it's been fun. It's been real. And if you don't have anything to add, man, I think we'll kick it off right there. And we'll we'll let this uh, advertisement reel run. And if you guys uh, have any questions about what Harlan offers, it's going to be, you know, at the end of the episode during the advertisement run. And um, feel free to email at gmail.com
1: How we doing, everybody? This is the co-host of Choices Not Chances podcast, Matthew Charette, as mentioned in the beginning of the show. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. The folks at Louisiana Gun Shop have been a longtime supplier of firearms and shooting supplies and services, as well as very good friends of mine. One day, we will get the owner and founder, Harlan Boblett, on the show. At Louisiana Gun Shop, the is the limit when it comes to getting the firearms and accessories you want for your current or future firearms. They have a nice selection of handguns rifles, and shotguns in stock, or can order just about any firearm you could want or need. They specialize in concealed carry handguns and custom AR-15 builds. In addition to firearms, they also carry ammo, suppressors, optics, and a wide variety of gun parts for the upgrade and maintenance of your firearms. If you want to get further into the upgrade side of things, they provide customization services such as Cerakote, laser engraving, Kydex holsters. So, like I stated before, Louisiana Gun Shop is located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. It used to be Louisiana Gun Shop did not have an online presence, but now I am happy to announce that their website is up and ready for business for online sales to all 50 states at louisianagunshop.com. Louisiana Gun Shop also offers Louisiana residents concealed carry classes for a very reasonable price. Harlan's experience in the concealed carry space when it comes to the laws and the do's and the don'ts is pivotal in attaining your Louisiana concealed carry license. As well as the firearm market, Harlan also conducts explosive training for Louisiana blasters licenses for oil field and special effects workers in Louisiana. Workers in these fields from out of state will also need to have their training in this field to complete their work in Louisiana. So whether you need a firearm, upgrade your old firearm, targets and ammo for a range day, or you just like to talk to people who support the Second Amendment, Louisiana Gun Shop is your place, either in person or online. Remember, they are located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette, or online at louisianagunshop.com. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Gun Shop. A special thanks to Harlan and Jenny at Louisiana Gun Shop for sponsoring the show. Please support them so they can support us and keep the podcast free for all. Thanks. Have a great day. Semper Fi and God bless America.
2: Not
1: too far. Marking Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah.